You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. And before we get into a busy edition of the show today, we got to thank our sponsor, DraftKings. The games are underway, and DraftKings is bringing you to the podium. DraftKings free-to-play pools are available every day of the games in Tokyo and offering a free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes. That's up to $50,000 up for grabs, and the best part, it's totally free. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's events and track your results throughout the evening to see if you will achieve a victory. Questions will range from medal count to questions specific about the USA team. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes every day of the games in Tokyo. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your free shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. As I said before, you can give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. I would really appreciate that. Boost my numbers up just a little bit. Plus, there is a giveaway going on right now, but you have to go check out my Twitter page to see what's going on with that. It is very simple. I recommend you check it out, at Connor Halley. Today on the show, we are going to recap free agency for the Edmonton Oilers. And instead of talking to local media members about what they thought about the day for the Oilers on Wednesday... I'm going all around the NHL. I'm going to talk to a media member in each NHL market where the Oilers acquired a player, and we're going to get a scouting report on said players. So we're going to talk about Zach Hyman with Dave McCarthy of Sirius XM. Of course, he covers the NHL, but also talks about the Toronto Maple Leafs quite a bit being in Toronto. So we'll get his thoughts on Zach Hyman. He, of course, signing a seven-year deal with the Edmonton Oilers with an AAV of $5.5 million. My thoughts on the deal are great. In free agency, you always have to overpay, whether it's term or AAV, and I think the cost is okay. The seven years is a little bit longer than I would have liked, but hey, you get that deal done. Zach Hyman joins the Oilers. He's immediately an upgrade in their top six, and I think he can fit on the line with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. So I really like that move. We'll also talk to Corey Lavalette. He covers the Carolina Hurricanes for the North State Journal. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Corey Lav. And, of course, the Edmonton Oilers did make a trade on Wednesday, sending defenseman Ethan Bear to the Carolina Hurricanes for Warren Fogle. Now, Ethan Bear was a great player. I think a lot of people had high hopes for him going forward, great member of our community. But the Oilers did have a bit of a, a surplus when it came to offensive defensemen. And when the team re-signed Tyson Berry, we knew somebody was going to be going. And it wasn't going to be Tyson Berry because he just re-signed him. Obviously, the team also has a guy in Evan Bouchard who they're very high on and really want to get him into the lineup next season. So, unfortunately for the young defenseman, Ethan Bear was sent to the Carolina Hurricanes in exchange for winger Warren Fogle. Now, he is an RFA, so they will have to figure out a contract there. But we'll talk to Corey Lavalette about Warren Fogle and what he brings to this team. To me, bottom six guy. Oilers needed help there. 
It's a good upgrade, and it's a guy who's got some versatility. You ought to worry about consistency. That is an issue, but we'll talk to Corey Lavalette more about that as well. We're also going to talk to Seth Rorabaugh. He covers the Pittsburgh Penguins for the Tribune View out in Pittsburgh. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Seth Rorabaugh. And, of course, Cody Ceci signing a four-year deal with the Oilers as well, worth $13 million. The last couple of years, he's been pretty well-traveled. He was originally drafted by the Ottawa Senators. Then he ended up playing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he might have been playing a little too high up in the lineup. He goes out to Pittsburgh, finds a spot on their second pairing, and uh, had a bit of a bounce-back year and kind of set himself up for this contract We'll talk to Seth about that one. And then finally, we'll go down to Calgary and talk to Danny Austin, who, of course, covers the Flames for the Calgary Sun and the Calgary Herald. It was later on in the day in Wednesday when the Edmonton Oilers signed a guy who I think is going to be a great fit on this team, Derek Ryan. And, you know, if the name sounds familiar and you're a longtime hockey fan of the Edmonton area, he did play four years at the University of Alberta with the Golden Bears. He went to Europe. He eventually earned a contract in the NHL. Ended up playing with the Carolina Hurricanes, and then the last three years he spent with the Calgary Flames. Uh, bottom six guy. I mean, let's not let's not try to overreact to this one. He is a guy who is going to be playing in your bottom six. Uh, I think third or fourth line kind of depends on what Ryan McLeod is able to do in preseason and training camp. But a solid, dependable player. He can go on the PK, uh, chip in offensively a little bit. Not quite much last year. Only scored two goals in 43 games. But you know, the previous four years with that, he was a 10 to 15 goal scorer. So. You know, for what you're paying him, $1.25 million per year over two seasons, not too bad of a deal, and I think that's a move that could pay dividends for the Edmonton Oilers going forward. Like I said, we'll talk to Danny Austin about that later on in the show, but let's start it off with Dave McCarthy. Let's talk about the big acquisition, Zach Hyman signing a seven-year deal with the Edmonton Oilers, $5.5 million per year. Dave McCarthy from SiriusXM joins me now. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Dave A. McCarthy. Dave, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? Great, Connor. What's going on, buddy? Oh, not a whole lot. Uh, Just continuing on the show here, we're doing a lot of uh, scouting reports on the newest members of the Edmonton Oilers, and of course, the biggest name that the Oilers bring in in free agency, Zach Hyman from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Seven-year deal worth 38 and a half a million dollars. Zach Hyman, 29 years old. He was originally a fifth round pick back in 2010. Played hockey at the University of Michigan. Spent a year with the Marlies and then joining the Toronto Maple Leafs where he's continually gotten better year after year. What have you seen from him over the last few years where it's got to the point where he's earned this big contract from the Oilers? Well, it's really interesting because his trajectory in Toronto, in his career with the Maple Leafs, started really low and it's gone upwards ever since to the point where when uh he first came to the maple leafs in the 16-17 season and he was put on uh, a line with uh, with austin matthews and sometimes it was william nylander other times it was connor brown um a, a lot of people couldn't stand the fact that he was playing with austin matthews and uh, mike babcock was insistent on keeping him there. Uh, Mike Babcock is as stubborn as they come, and in this case, he was right to be stubborn because uh, Hyman was the perfect fit on that line. And uh, as they stuck with it, he continued to grow into the role uh, to the point now where when he left uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, I guess yesterday now, to join the Edmonton Oilers, People are devastated in Toronto and saying, oh, how the heck are we going to replace a guy like Zach Hyman? Everything that he brings, they don't nearly have enough of those type of guys uh, on the roster. So it's really wild when you think about it 
Uh, you had a guy who people almost couldn't wait to run out of town because they didn't think he had enough of a skill set to play up the lineup to, by the time he left, people uh, wishing he would stay. Well, I mean, was there a point in the year, last year, maybe it was two years ago, where it was kind of just like, okay, you know what, with the current cap situation, there is no way we can bring this guy back. Just a foregone conclusion that he was going to be leaving in free agency? Yeah, I mean, I... I the thing is with Zach, like he grew up in the city. His whole family is here. Um, you know, he I think wanted to remain in Toronto at the end of the day if something could get worked out. But at the other end of the equation, uh, the point that he's at in his career, given how well he has played, he'll never be in a better position to to capitalize financially. Uh, than he was this summer. And when you're in that position, you know it's probably not going to come again. you got to take advantage of it. Um, the Leafs would have loved to have retained him. Zach would have loved to have stayed. But the dollars and cents just did not work out anywhere near to the level that Edmonton could offer. And would he have been willing to take uh, a bit of a discount to remain in Toronto? Maybe to an extent, but, but not to the extent that it would have had to be in order to make it work, because Toronto was so uh, otherwise right up against the cap. Uh, so, I mean, it, it became something where it was it was acknowledged in the backs of a lot of people's minds, but something a lot of people didn't really want to talk all that much about, because there was, as I said, this belief and this hope that some way, somehow, they would find a way to keep Zach because of how important uh, and indispensable a player he became on this team. So when you look at the way that he plays and his style of game, uh, how was he able to just adapt and play with superstars like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? And how do you think that translates to going to the Oilers with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? It's an absolutely perfect fit. See, Zach is, is a guy who fully understands what his skill set is and what his role is and how he needs to play in order for himself to have success and for his linemates to have success. And he's really a perfect example of this, right? Not everybody can be Connor McDavid. Everybody wants to be Connor McDavid, but not everybody can. So how can you find yourself uh, a role in a niche where you become an indispensable player without that type of talent or, you know, without the type of talent that Austin Matthews has um, or Mitch Marner during the regular season? Um, you, you find a way to complement those types of guys. And then, two, you have to be willing to play that role. It's not the, uh, the sexiest role. It's not the, uh, the most glitzy role. But it is a role that you absolutely need to have someone fill on a line if you want to have success. Um, Edmonton has, has seen that case in point over the last number of years. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, they've had all the individual success uh, that they could ever hope to have. The team hasn't won anything because they don't have the types of guys like Hyman. Then there's another addition, Warren Fogle, I really like as well. Uh, you bring those guys in, and they give you a bit of a different look. They give you a bit of a different mix. Um, you need to have those guys, and it'll be a perfect complement to uh, to whether it's McDavid or uh, whether it's Drysidle. He'll be willing to go along the boards, do the heavy work, dig the pucks out, get it to Drysidle, get it to McDavid, head to the front of the net, take some abuse, jam away, uh, tip in some pucks. Um, he'll really help killing penalties as well. He's a tremendous penalty killer in Toronto during his time here. So he just checks a lot of those boxes that, that you need to have on a team if you're going to win anything. Now, 
The issue is, is there enough value in all of that at, at five and change that he's now getting paid? There sure as hell was at two and a half. At five and change, will there be? That'll ultimately be the test in, in terms of how this deal will age. But I think especially in the short term, at least, the next uh, you know year or two or three, I don't think there's too much concern about the contract. The work ethic is not in question. You get everything from Zach, shipped in, shipped out. He never takes it off. But it's just his willingness to understand his role uh, that he needs to fill, and it's his willingness to uh, to execute that role is why he's had success. And how was he utilized when it comes to special teams in Toronto? Well, like I said, big part of the penalty killing units. Um, you know, he's even taken draws at, at times as well uh, on, on the penalty killing units. So a guy that will be able to take some of the responsibility on there in Edmonton and help out in that role. Um, and he started to get power play time during the end of his tenure in Toronto, uh, where he would be a guy that would be the net front guy. Uh, he's got good hands in tight. Um, he's got a bigger, wider body, so he can uh, post up. He can take some abuse in front of the net. He's willing to do it. And um, and he scores a lot of his goals from uh, from in tight. So definitely an option on, on both special teams. And, and that's why he would end up playing um, on average 20 minutes a night because he was involved in all facets of the game, whether it was uh, at even strength uh, in the top six or in uh, in both penalty killing, uh, both uh, special teams units. When you're involved in all facets of the game, your ice time goes up, um, and he found a way to be productive in all of it. Is he a guy that, you know, even if statistically he might not put up a po- couple points in the game, he's noticeable to the fact that, you know, you know, yeah, he didn't put up points, but he was a big factor in this game. Like, does he have that type of... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Because, you know, a lot of the work that he, he did was to facilitate uh, Matthews and to facilitate Marner. He'd be the guy that, that digs the pocket. Another great story that Mike Babcock told, um, you know, early on when he was trying to uh, justify Hyman being in that role, he said, I, I learned from Pavel Datsuk back in Detroit. Uh, Pavel came to me and he said, look, I, I don't want... Uh, to play on a line where everybody wants the puck. I want the puck. I want someone with me who is going to get the puck and then give it to me. And that's, that's Zach Hyman, right? He, he's not a guy that's going to carry the puck through the neutral zone um, with speed. He's the guy that's going to dig the puck out in the defensive zone, uh, kill the forecheck, and then, uh, oh, there's 97. We'll get it to that guy, and then he'll, he'll do his work. So that's, that's Zach Hyman's um, skill set, that he's willing to play that type of a role and that even if he's not producing points, he's uh, a beast in the defensive end. He kills four checks. He gets it to the guy that you want to have the puck um, more often than not. And then McDavid and whoever it is, they go do their thing. But without that type of guy, um, especially in the playoffs, right? Like in the regular season, it's a bit of a different game. But in the playoffs... Uh, you really, really need that type of a guy. You needed more wingers in Edmonton. Kenny Holland mm-hmm. clearly recognized that, bringing in Hyman, bringing in Warren Fogle, and lengthen their lineup a little bit. And I think those are the perfect guys to be able to complement uh, some of the other top players that they already have on the roster. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, a lot of the positive feedback that we've seen on our show and uh, social media, people, you know, the guy's a legit, legitimate top six forward. Um, when you look at the Oilers lineup, and a lot of people would say that you're going to probably have your most success if you can split up McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh, McDavid found some chemistry with Jesse Pugliarvi. Do you think that Hyman just slots into the top line left wing, or do you think he might be better suited for Leon Dreisaitl? Uh, it's hard to say, and honestly, I don't think it matters because there were times in Toronto that, that Zach would play with John Tavares and fit in really well uh, there. John plays a bit of a different style than, or not a bit, a significantly different style to Austin Matthews. He's more of a down-low type of guy. Um, so uh, Zach really went to work the year that they played with Mitch Marner and Tavares, uh, being a guy uh, that would help uh, help execute cycles in the offensive end, uh, get it to, get it behind the, the net, dig away, get the puck out, either get it to Marner or find Tavares, who would slip into a soft spot for a for a shot in the slot. So he was able to to work with a guy like that. He was able to work with a guy like Matthews, who's much more of a speed guy, um, uh, and then that type of a guy, someone who wants to carry the puck a little bit more. So that's the, the beauty of Zach is that. He's got so much versatility in his skill set in terms of the types of different players that he can complement. Um, I know everybody's in an instant gratification society. We want to know right now, is he going to play with McDavid or Drysaddle? I don't think it matters. I think they'll probably try him with both guys as training camp works out, and they'll ultimately determine who they think is the best fit. Um, but now that you've got Hyman, uh, that'll help lengthen the lineup. Now you can uh, decide, do you want to have Nugent Hopkins on the wing, um, on one line and Hyman on the other? Um, is Warren Fogle a guy that could maybe fill one of those roles and have uh, Nugent Hopkins uh, play center? And there's just so many more options now that, that Dave Tippett, and the cops are not after me, by the way, in case you can hear the fire, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that Dave Tippett has to work with that he didn't um, in, in the last couple of years. And I think that'll that'll really, really help uh, Edmonton's lineup. Dave, I think you've uh, made a lot of Oilers fans happy. I think we're looking forward to seeing what happened, and it should be a great fit, Zach Hyman, in the Oilers' top six. Thanks a lot for doing this today. Great to, uh, to be on. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Dave McCarthy of Sirius XM NHL. Really appreciate him hopping on the podcast today. And if you're an Oilers fan, hearing what he had to say about Zach Hyman, you've got to be pretty excited. I know it's a seven-year deal, and some people think that might have been a little bit too long, but... That's what you do in free agency. You got to overpay, whether it's term or salary. I think his salary is fine for the next three to four years, maybe even the fifth year. Then you might take a look at that contract. But I'm really excited to see what Zach Hyman is going to bring to this Oilers team. To me, he's a guy who brings his honest effort all the time, makes the guys around him better, and I can't wait to see him out there with the Edmonton Oilers next season. Right now, we'll talk a little bit about Cody Ceci, of course, formerly of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Ottawa Senators. Also, the Toronto Maple Leafs last year with the Penguins, like I mentioned. Seth Rohrbach covers the team for the Tribune Review out in Pittsburgh. Seth, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? Uh, very well. I hope you're doing well as well. Absolutely. A great time of the year. And uh, obviously, we're having you on to get a little breakdown about new Oilers defenseman Cody Ceci. Signed a four-year deal with the Oilers on Wednesday worth $13 million and played last season with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I'm going to ask you about that, of course. But how is the, how's the Penguins offseason gone so far? Um, it's been uh, mostly quiet. I mean, I think the biggest moves, so quote unquote, uh, that they've had this offseason have been, you know, losing a couple of players. Actually, uh, um, they lost uh, Jared McCann uh, and uh, Brandon Tanev uh, through the expansion process. Uh, McCann, to be clear, 
Um, he was uh, dealt to Toronto uh, in, a, in a deal a couple days before the expansion draft and ultimately got selected by uh, Seattle from Toronto. But um, they lost a couple guys on their bottom six there. Um, uh, and, you know, they kind of shored up, you know, re-signing a couple guys on their own team, uh, guys like Teddy Bluger and Evan Rodriguez, just to kind of shore up the bottom six a little bit. But um, and then, you know, I guess their biggest move, I guess, externally was uh, bringing in Brock McGinn, uh, you know, kind of a bottom six energy guy uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes, signing him to a, a four-year deal for $2.75 million, pardon me. Uh, a guy who's kind of going to be a brand antenna player with them. Now, it's been a pretty uh, low-key offseason by you know by any measure for the Penguins. Well, I've got to ask you about this. Uh, I heard kind of through the grapevine that the Penguins might be interested in perhaps bringing back Marc-Andre Fleury after he was traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. Have you heard anything about that? I mean, um, as of no, not, as of right now, no. Uh, things can certainly change between now and October 12th when the season begins. Um, for them to do that, uh, I mean, they would have to move two or three players off their roster right now. Um, you know, maybe even four players or so, uh, just to clear the cap space for that. So, um, and, and to be clear, I mean, you know, you look at the, the Penguin manager right now, it's Ron Hexall and Brian Burke. Um, they're two people that don't necessarily have a direct connection with Mark Andre Fleury the way, um, previous management here might have, uh, under Jim Rutherford. So, they don't necessarily have, say, a personal connection with Mark Andre Fleury that would, you know, skew their judgment or sway their judgment or anyway. So um, they they proclaim that they're happy going with Tristan Jari, uh, who you know had a really rough playoff here in the first round, losing to the Islanders, and uh, Casey Smith, the backup goaltender. Um, I suspect they might still look around to see if they can maybe you know find someone at the very least better than say Casey Smith, but. Um, they've proclaimed a lot of confidence in Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith moving forward. Again, things can certainly change between now and October 12th, but uh, as of now, I don't think the Penguins are actively uh, you know, uh, looking around uh, or, or finding ways to, to bring Marc-Andre Fleury back at the moment. Well, as a Edmonton-based podcast, we're glad to hear that uh, the former Oil King uh, seen in high regard out in Pittsburgh. Now, we brought you on here today to talk about Cody Ceci. Uh, signed a four-year deal worth $13 million with the Oilers. He's a 27-year-old right-shot defenseman, 15th overall pick back in 2012 by the Ottawa Senators. Now, 549 games into his career with the Sens, Leafs, and last season with the Penguins, where he appeared in 53 games, scoring four goals and added 13 assists in the regular season. What was your opinion on him in the one year you saw him? Um, he was kind of a classic reclamation project that the Penguins under Jim Rutherford really liked to kind of look at. Um, and they've had success going back with guys like, you know, Justin Schultz, who a lot of people in Edmonton are familiar with. They brought Justin Schultz in here, coached him up a little bit, and became a much better player. And, uh, they seem to kind of, you know, do the same thing with Cody Cece here. I mean, he had a, you know, rough, you know, past few years with Ottawa and, um, uh, Toronto there. And, uh, was really kind of an unwanted player, uh, you know, last off season, and you know the Penguins brought him in here, and you know brought him in on a one year deal, just kind of see, hey, what what can we do with this guy? And um, he, he went through some growing pains early on, especially since there wasn't like a true training camp. Um, they teamed him up with Mike Matheson, who was another off season acquisition. And in the first handful of games of the season, they both kind of struggled just trying to get acclimated to the new surroundings. But you know, once they got their feet underneath them and got a little bit more acclimated with teammates, surroundings, coaching schemes, things like that, um, uh, those two became the team's second pairing, defensive pairing. And um, Cody Cece specifically, I mean, he he really just seemed to, to you know, get acclimated uh, pretty quickly in terms of uh, um, 
just you know, he, he I think he benefited by playing a few plus minutes in Toronto. He was like a first pairing defenseman, and you know, in Pittsburgh he settled into a second pairing role. Um, just a, just a positionally sound defenseman uh, could always you know get get involved in on the rush and things like that. Um, I don't think he's any, anyone's ever going to you know confuse him with say Paul Coffey, but. Um, he had some offensive acumen as well, too. It was, it was a nice shot. The thing that stood out to me most offensively with him was um, he was a guy that can um, he can find shooting lanes through traffic, through screens, all that stuff. And they're maybe not shots get on net all the time or, or you beat the goaltender, but they're shots that, that can create a lot of second-chance opportunities, uh, rebounds, tips, things like that for his teammates, for the forwards. So. Um, I, I don't know how he'll, you know, function, you know, under, you know, working under, say, a four-year contract as opposed to a one-year contract. That that desire, that hunger is going to be there, as it was this past year in Pittsburgh. But um, he was a guy that really needed a course correction uh, for his career, and he found it in Pittsburgh, and uh, certainly benefited from that as a free agent uh, on Wednesday here. Was there any area in his game where you saw improvement throughout the season? Um. I would say just say again the offense. Uh, you know, at first, you know, he didn't really seem, you know, how confident or just how sure he was allowed to maybe kind of join the rush uh, here in Pittsburgh. And you know, like a lot of teams, you know, the Penguins expect their defensemen to kind of be part of that. They expect the the, the, Penguin, the, the defenseman, at least one of them, to kind of be the fourth attacker off the rush there. And, um, I, I just think, uh, you know, again, those early kind of hiccups, those early kind of growing pains there, where you still get acclimated. Um, I don't think he was fully comfortable in doing that thing, uh, that part of the part of the offense. But um, once he get once he got a little more comfortable around the surroundings, he seemed like he he was a guy that could really uh, um, contribute something offensively uh, off the rush there. So, um, and in fact, I think he was their Penguins' second leading scorer among the defensemen with 17 or 18 points. I don't have it in front of me here, but um, again, I just think he was a guy that. Uh, with the benefit of time, he got much, much more, much more comfortable and much more acclimated to how the Penguins wanted to uh, do things offensively. You mentioned that he got into that second pairing role there. Did he contribute in any way on special teams? Yeah, I mean, he was a pretty sturdy penalty killer for them, uh, and their penalty kill, to be clear, you know, struggled most of the year. But um, he averaged just north of uh, two minutes on the penalty kill there. In fact, I want to say he was one, usually one of their first guys over the board there with. Uh, uh, Brian Dumlin, who was a left-hander, so um, he was a really steady part of their penalty kill. Uh, again, you know, overall, the penalty kill needed a lot of improvement over the course of the year, but um, he was a guy that they leaned on heavily uh, when they were shorthanded, and um, was a guy that they trusted more often than not. It's one of the first guys over the boards. Was there any glaring weaknesses in his games that, that stood out to you that Oilers fans should maybe be aware of? Um, I wouldn't say any sort of glaring weaknesses. I mean, there were times where, you know, and maybe this was just uh, a byproduct of playing with a guy like Mike Matheson, who's not necessarily the the, the greatest defensive presence, but um, there were times where that second pairing would uh, uh, get jammed up a few times, uh, more often than not, because Mike Matheson would take some chances offensively and uh, maybe not, you know, be necessarily as astute in his defensive responsibilities. And Cody Cece was maybe kind of left to, there to kind of clean it up, and not always. You know, he wasn't. I don't think you know if he was always always able to kind of, um, you know, make up that ground or make up that mistake from from playing with Mike Matheson. So um, again, you know, there were certainly a lot of deficiencies in his game that that popped up there in Ottawa and in Toronto that uh, I'm sure I'm sure some fans in those places can probably t- talk to you about, but. No, Cody, Cody Cece was probably one of their most reliable uh, defensive presences for the Penguins uh, this past season over the four or five months of the regular season. 
So right now, I mean, it looks like he'll be partnered up with Duncan Keith, a veteran in the league for the NHL, but a little bit longer in the tooth, but uh, clearly thinks he can still play at a high level. So going from Mike Matheson to a guy like Duncan Keith, how do you think that's going to work out? Well, with Duncan Keith, uh, you certainly get a guy that's a lot more, uh, I would say, confident or just, just comfortable with uh, being in the NHL or, or just, you know, doing some of the things that, you know, most NHL defensemen are expected to do. Mike Matheson, uh, just, you know, for the most part here, not, not to bore everyone or Mike Matheson, uh, talk here in Edmonton, but, um, he was a guy that just, just never fully lived up to his potential in, uh, in Florida and the Penguins try again, another reclamation project they were kind of trying to bring in and, um, yeah, had a lot of success here, a lot more success in Pittsburgh than he ever did in Florida, but, um, was a guy that still just, you know, had some deficiency defensively, as I discussed earlier. I don't think you're going to see that with Duncan Keith, just given his resume and uh, all of his abilities and uh, just all of his experience. Uh, on paper, it seems like a, a fantastic pairing, uh, if that's what indeed what Edmonton goes with. Uh, you know, Duncan Keith, obviously a world class skater, even at this age, at this stage of his career. Um, you know, Cody Cece can kind of be a safety valve there uh, if, if Duncan Keith wants to take some chances. So. Uh, but no, I, 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 you know, two very talented players. Obviously, uh, Duncan Keith, a, a world class talent. Uh, even if he is, you know, a little later in, in his career here, um, on paper, it seems like a marvelous uh, uh, possible second pairing. Was there interest in the Penguins in keeping CC for for the future, or was it maybe just a, a matter of contract and you know CC trying to cash in one more time? Yeah, uh, Ron Hextall said repeatedly that they wanted to re-sign Cody CC, but um, you know they just had limited cap space. Uh, even after some of the moves I mentioned earlier, I mean, they only had about seven million dollars worth of cap space uh, going in the Wednesday, and uh, some of that got devoted, obviously, to bring in Brock McGinn, uh, some of the restricted free agents, and things like that. So um, they had some in-house uh, obligations as well as you know trying to find a guy who could replace Brian Tanov. And um, you know, as far, for, as far as Cody CC goes, I, I just think you know. He was priced out. Of, he, he priced himself out of their range, and you know, that's a testament to what he did and what he was able to do here in Pittsburgh. And uh, they have some right-handed options that they can turn to. Uh, uh, John Marino, former Edmonton Oilers prospects, probably going to slide back up into the second pairing there at some point. And uh, as far as their third pairing, they, they have a couple of right-handed guys in uh, Mark Freeman and Chad Riedel, who they trust and rely on a lot. So, um, no, I think it was just a matter of uh, Cody Cece uh, really pricing himself out of the Penguins' range. Full credit to him, as well as the Penguins having some uh, possible in-house replacements already in place. Seth Rohrbaugh joining me here discussing Cody Cece as he joins the Edmonton Oilers. Just a couple more questions for you, Seth. I really appreciate you doing this today. Um when when you saw the deal come out for CC four years thirteen million dollars it's a three point two five AAV cap it were you surprised by that number? Uh, not especially, uh, especially too when you, you consider Cody CC's a right hand defenseman, uh, right hand defenseman for whatever reason or uh, precious commodity in the NHL and you, know, you can never have enough of those and you know, if you can get a guy who can play you know eighteen nineteen minutes a night for you uh, be a pretty steady reliable presence in the lineup for you on the right side there that's. Uh, um, that probably inflates the value a little bit there. So, um, again, I think just it came obvious fairly late in the regular season just how well Cody CC was playing that he probably wasn't going to be here uh, going into the next season just based on how well he had played, just how uh, the Penguin salary cap situation was shaking out with the flat cap and um, just some of the other needs that they maybe needed had to address. So, um, no, I, I don't think there was much surprise on Cody Cece leaving or the price that he got. Again, he just had priced himself out of the Penguins' uh, uh, price range.
Now, assuming all goes well, we'll get a Penguins-Oilers matchup December 1st. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, to see McDavid, Crosby, Leon versus Malkin once again. How great is it going to be to see the rest of the NHL and not the same 10 teams? Yeah, uh, it got old seeing the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey <laughs> Devils, you know, eight times a year. Um, uh, it, I mean, it was even kind of unique watching the playoffs here when, you know, when we got to the third round and it's like a final seeing, you know, different matchups. But, um, you know, being able to see some just amazing world-class talents uh, like Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid going head-to-head, even if it's just one or two games a year, um, that's going to be such a special treat after the past you know, 15, 16 months of you know everything going on here with uh, with, with the pandemic. So, uh, but no, I mean, being able to see the Edmonton Oilers in person, being able to see Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, all those players, um, uh, regardless of the circumstances, is always a treat. Seth, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Glad to glad to uh, be on. We were glad to have you on this show. That is Seth Aurorabaugh. He covers the Pittsburgh Penguins. For the Tribune review, you can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Seth Rorabaugh, and uh, great stuff there on Cody Cece for the Edmonton Oilers. The way I look at it, second pairing guy with Duncan Keith, you hope it works out. If not, maybe he slides down into the third pairing, and then you get Evan Bouchard jumping up. Uh, it'd be an expensive third pairing, but you got to just put the guys together that are going to give you the best opportunity to win. And for the Oilers' sake, hopefully Cody Cece can slide into that second pairing with the veteran Duncan Keith. All right, let's keep it going here. Two guests down, two free agents discussed, two more to go. And uh, why don't we talk about the trade that happened, the Edmonton Oilers sending Ethan Bear to the Carolina Hurricanes for Warren Fogle. He's a guy who probably fits into your bottom six right now. Maybe he can jump up a little bit higher. We'll talk to Corey Lavalette. He is the sports editor for the North State Journal, Carolina Hurricanes beat reporter. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Corey Lav. Corey, really appreciate you doing this today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very good, and I really appreciate you hopping on today. Uh, this episode kind of d- uh, devoted to all the new Oilers and just trying to familiarize the fan base with these new players. Uh, before we get to Warren Fogle, though, how's the Hurricanes offseason been so far for you? Uh, pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the, the way the schedule has, has worked out and the way the draft and uh, free agency and the expansion draft were all kind of jammed together there. Uh, may, have made for a, a little bit of a, a busy off season, but uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit of a break here before we uh, before we gear back up again. <laughs> oh, for everyone's sake, I certainly hope so. Uh, maybe six weeks or so before cams get going, hopefully it will be a, a bit of a lull so the beat reporters, the players, the management can kind of take it easy. But of course, free agency getting going on a Wednesday. The Edmonton Oilers and Hurricanes making the trade, like I said earlier. Warren Fogle on his way to Edmonton in exchange for young defenseman Ethan Bear. Fogle, a 25-year-old winger, he was drafted in the third round by the Hurricanes back in 2014, played in 200 games in the regular season 35 goals 33 assists last season in 53 games he scored 10 goals and 10 assists in your opinion uh, what was Warren Fogle like last year for the Carolina Hurricanes I mean I think the big thing is it it just wasn't consistent all the time Uh, you know he's one of those guys that has the ability he could play on a top line if you need him to he can play on the fourth line if you need him to he can kill penalties. He can even, you know, he hasn't done a lot of power play work, but you know, he could certainly stand in front of the net on the power play and be, uh, be a bit of a nuisance there too. But it, it, it never really seemed to come together this past year, at least, um, you know, not consistently. And I think that was, that was the biggest thing was with him being a restricted free agent and, um, you know, having, having scored a bit over 200 NHL games, I think the Hurricanes were, were wondering what kind of award he might get. 
uh, if it went to arbitration and um, they just decided, you know, the opportunity to get a, a right-handed defenseman was was more valuable than, um, than you know, a, a guy who's kind of hovered around their third line for the last few years. Now, you mentioned that. I mean, the RFA uh, rights there. Uh, do you have a number in mind that you think that he would be looking to, to try to get here in his next contract? I, I mean, I really I, I don't know what the, where the comparables are. Um, you know, I think that would have been the only uh, the only arbitration case the Hurricanes would have would have had to deal with. Um, I, I I would expect he's expecting you know at least in that two and a half million dollar range, if not more. Um, but it, it's kind of hard to know, uh, you know, without without having the comparables and you know kind of in front of me. And if I don't know where, where Edmonton sits on those things, but Carolina has, I think everyone around the league knows Carolina has. Uh, tried to squeeze every dollar in the cap they can. I, I think that gets misconstrued as them being cheap when I think, you know, in reality, it's they're trying to maximize everything they can with the cap. And um, so I, I think that maybe they determined that, you know, whatever that amount was looking like was probably not worth it for them, um, given that he hadn't, like I said, kind of taken taken that next step as a uh, as a, you know, legit top six guy so i i mean i would say he's probably you know looking in that in that two and a half million dollar range i would guess um it, it you know he made just over two million on the previous deal 2.125 uh was the average salary so um i, I would guess that if you know two to three two and a half to three million is probably um what they look at, depending on, of course, the, the length of the deal. So if you were uh, asked to describe his playing style, like I'm about to ask you, uh, what would your response be? Um, I mean, he's, he's a high-energy player, and, the, the, you know, I thought maybe he would outgrow this, and he never really hasn't, but for the last few years, the way I've described him is he's, he's kind of like a, like a golden retriever that's about 14 weeks old. He's uh, his legs are moving. He's all over the place. He always seems a little bit out of control, um, but it, it's there's there's no lack of effort there. You know, I don't think anyone has ever questioned Warren's effort and his determination, and and what he's trying to do on the ice. It's just uh, there there hasn't been a lot of control to his game, if you know what I mean. And recklessness probably isn't the right term because people would would couple that with maybe being a reckless player who endangers other players. Um, that's not Warren, and actually, it, maybe to his detriment a little bit. That's not Warren because if you know, I think if he was if he leaned into being an agitator, perhaps he'd he'd have been a little more uh, productive here and a little more useful. Uh, but that's not his personality. He's not the type of guy that is going to um, you know try to try to really be an agitator and uh, and get under people's skin. Other than the fact that he's kind of always on you uh, as a you know a determined player, he he'll forecheck hard and all that, um, but he doesn't have the personality of an agitator. You know, we're we're not talking Corey Perry or Cedric Paquette or or anything like that here. Yeah, those guys are a different breed. Now, of right. course, uh, hockey mad Edmonton. Everyone's been doing their kind of their mock lineup and you know where Fogel might fit into this group. And the way I look at it, he seems to fit into that third line left wing spot with either Derek Ryan or Ryan McLeod at center, and then Cassian or Archibald. Uh, to you hearing that, I mean, do you think as a third line winger playing with some guys who can be agitators and have a little bit of finish would that be a good spot for him, or do you think he could play higher up in the lineup? And it's all going to come down to consistency for him, I think. And I think he can play higher up in the lineup, and he has at times. He's 
played on lines where he's been a checker. You know, he's played with Jordan Stahl quite a bit and then a, you know, tried to be a, a, a shutdown guy. And, you know, like I said, the effort, um, the effort is always there. And, you know, if you play with a guy like Connor McDavid or, or somebody like Landry Seidel, you, you know, you're going to get chances if you're willing to go to the right spots of the ice. And he's not afraid to go to those spots of the ice. So I think, you know, he could play up the lineup and he's the kind of guy who could really benefit from playing with really, really great players. Now, that said, it, it never really translated here. And I'm not saying Sebastian Ajo or Teova Teravainen are, are guys who are, um, you know, on the level of McDavid and Dreisaitl, but um, they are very, very talented players who make their, their line mates better. Um, and Warren never really found a role with guys like that here. You touched on it a little bit there, but uh, in terms of special team, did he contribute there for the Hurricanes in any ways? Yeah, he's a, he's a you know pretty good penalty killer. He wasn't uh, as Rod Brindamore uh, since he took over had had taken a little more uh, of a path of using some of his skill guys. He found that Aho and Teravine and themselves are very good penalty killers. Obviously, Jordan Stahl is too. So um, Warren was kind of in that uh, that overflow kind of um, penalty killing role um, where he would uh, you know fill in when maybe the you know if they had to send a third you know forward pairing out there for to kill penalties he was among them if one of those guys was in the box he was one of the guys that um that brenda moore would go to um you know he, he worked well with jordan stall in that role when he had to uh, but there were always guys in front of him a little bit so certainly i think uh penalty killing he's he's good at that because he's so active keeps his legs moving um he's a he's a big guy you know he, he's, he's rangy uh he's not gonna you know throw anybody around the ice but he's you know he's rangy and can close ground and skates well um so i think he can definitely you know kill penalties uh power play never really um materialized for him here in that role he's um he's one of those guys that the puck never seems to kind of stay on his stick it's always rolling on him um so maybe not best suited for for that kind of uh that kind of role that said if you put him in front of the net he's he's good at you know being on the top of the crease and uh, battling for position. And he can whack in some goals, you know, from the goal mouth uh, if he's in that role, I think. But um, probably not a power play a power play guy. Now, you talked about the inconsistencies and uh, maybe a little bit of control issue there. But are there any other weaknesses in his game that you think Oilers fans might take note of or should be ready for? I mean, the thing that jumps out to me is that he can be a little bit of a tease on, on what he is. <laughs> Um, you know, there are times where he's he's going to look like one of the best players on the ice. There's going to be nights where he's, you know, he's pretty dominant. It seems like he's, you know, in scoring positions or, you know, all game long. Um, much like Brock McGinn here, who, who did a lot of that, too, there just wasn't a ton of finish. So I think that's the, that's the big thing is can he finish uh, his opportunities, uh, you know, the, I know the Hurricanes tried him at three on three once last year, and he made a mistake, and it was in the back of their net. Uh, so I, I wouldn't expect any three on three play. Um, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think that's a. You know, the skill level I think maybe isn't there to to expect that. But um, you know, he's a good energy guy, and I think he'll he'll be a he'll be a decent guy in the room. And um, you know, we'll see how he handles handles the scrutiny of a of maybe a tougher media market um you know the, he really hasn't had to have that here so we'll see 
you know, if there's a 12-game point drought or something like that, we'll see how he handles that. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the social media mentions might be a little higher in Edmonton. Uh, hockey Twitter, different beast. Uh, just a couple more questions for you, Corey Lavalet, joining me here discussing the Oilers' acquisition of Warren Fogle. Uh, when it came to the return for the trade, uh, how's the reception been for young defenseman Ethan Bear going to, down to the Hurricanes? I, I mean, I think it was positive. I think, like everything that happened yesterday, it was oversha- overshadowed by the Tony D'Angelo signing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was definitely a need for a right shotted a right shot defenseman. Um, they they made a move uh, at the deadline last year to get Yanni Hockenpah from the Ducks for Hayden Flurry and a draft pick. Um, I'm sorry, the other way around. They they got a draft pick also with Hockenpah, um, and that worked out okay. Hockenpah is a you know more of a, a physical guy, and I think that the expectation for Ethan is he can be a better puck mover um, and and perhaps blossom a little bit offensively. And there's certainly plenty of plenty of talent on this defense uh for him to play alongside um you know whether he fits in um with Brady Shea or uh or Jacob Slavin or on the third pairing um you know will be interesting to see a lot of that will hinge on how Tony D'Angelo fits in here and um you know I think Brett Pesci's a you know they can move him around to help stabilize the left side now the question is who else on the right side can be a stable a stable guy to fit into that top four, and it's going to come down to, um, you know, whether D'Angelo works out uh, and can and can turn his career around a bit, or uh, if Ethan can, uh, you know, even if he starts in the third pair, does he blossom into maybe a guy that can be a, a top a top four guy? So, um, I, I think the, the expectations are good for him. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Since I have you here, I might as well ask about Tony D'Angelo. I guess that would have been probably the bigger story down there. Uh, how how was the response for that move? Like a guy who can clearly play at the NHL level has had success, but you know, off the ice, isn't afraid to share his opinions on maybe the controversial topics. Yeah, I mean, I would say you know if you're if you're going by what what went on on social media, for the most part, it was very negative. Um, you know, a lot of people saying they were going to get rid of their season tickets, not be fans of the team anymore. I mean, we'll see if that's lip service or if that's really what's going to happen here. Um, you know, the, the Hurricanes have have con- kind of made this image of an inclusive place, uh, and a lot of people feel like that signing uh, Tony D'Angelo goes against those beliefs, or at least the, not the beliefs, or the uh, the idea of what the Hurricanes have have built as their culture and reputation. Um, the team is is hopeful that that culture and, and reputation that they've built is the kind of thing that can help turn uh, turn Tony's career around. And, um, you know, we talked to Tony yesterday, and uh, he kind of, you know, he said everything he had to say. I don't know that we got a whole lot of uh, insight into much of anything at, at this point, but, um, you know, it, like Don Waddell said, the proof's going to be in the pudding with him, and if, if it works out or not, um I, I don't know that there are that right now. It doesn't look like there's a ton of people rooting for him to succeed, which is kind of weird when a guy uh, comes to a new team. So we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see how that works out. Like you said, obviously, really, really talented guy. And when you lose someone like Dougie Hamilton, you need to find uh, someone to run the power play and and be an offensive threat back there. And a lot of people don't agree that with this move. Um, so I, you know, it's it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a little wild, and it's, you know, this isn't New York. This isn't a Canadian market, so um, the media pressure maybe won't be as high here. Um, that said, you know, based on yesterday, there were certainly a lot of tough questions that he had to answer, 
Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. Um, you know, the Hurricanes obviously feel like he can he can make a difference and that they were satisfied um, with what past teammates and coaches had to say. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to find out one way or the other whether or not uh, this was the right move. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. Corey, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it, and we'll have to get you back on when these two teams meet in the upcoming NHL season. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Enjoy your offseason. Excellent stuff from Corey Lavalette, sports editor for the North State Journal, Carolina Hurricanes beat reporter. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Corey Lav. And now we just have to sit back and wait and see what is the contract like for Warren Fogle. But I liked what he said there. And, uh, you know, if you followed along the Oilers in their playoff run last year against the Winnipeg Jets, uh, one of the things I noticed, and I'm sure you noticed too, after that top six was off the ice, uh, the Oilers weren't getting a whole lot. So when your mission is to improve, your bottom six, uh, unfortunately, it's going to cost you, and it did cost the Oilers' Ethan Bear. But I think Warren Fogle will be a guy to watch for the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, I guess we'll just see what happens there. Another guy, though, that was brought in for the Edmonton Oilers and with the hopes of improving their bottom six was Derek Ryan, someone who's had a really unique, outstanding journey to the NHL. Of course, played in the WHL. After that, with no NHL offers, he goes to the University of Alberta, plays for the Golden Bears for four seasons, still no NHL offers. He goes across the pond, plays in Europe, works his butt off, finally gets a contract in the NHL affiliate with the Charlotte Checkers, eventually works his way up to the NHL with the Carolina Hurricanes. He spends a couple of years with the Calgary Flames, a bitter rival of the Edmonton Oilers. But then he comes to the good side, signing a two-year deal, $1.25 million cap hit, a guy who I think fits right into the Oilers' bottom six, whether it's third or fourth line center. I think that depends on Ryan McLeod and how he performs early on in the year. But someone who can play special teams, potentially play on the wing. And, uh, you know, if the Oilers do find some more depth, maybe he's a guy who is that 13th forward and comes out of the lineup every once in a while. But someone who I think is a high-character person, worked his butt off, like I said, to get this opportunity, and someone who's going to be a great fit in the room with this Oilers team. We're going to talk about Derek Ryan with someone who covers the Calgary Flames, Danny Austin. He, of course, a beat reporter with the Calgary Sun and the Calgary Herald. You can give him a follow on Twitter at DannyAustin underscore nine. Danny, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. And I, you know I always say yes to the you. I've never said no. Well, I, I, I know. I appreciate it. And uh, glad to get you back <laughs> on here. And I know I'm sure you got some stuff to do for the Stampeders, you know, followed by the Flames. So I hope you can get some days off in the next little while here. But I got to ask you, of course, the Edmonton Oilers free agency, uh, one of the signings that they brought in, a guy who's definitely going to be playing in the bottom six, but a veteran presence, Derek Ryan, uh, played in 43 games with the Flames last season, scored a couple goals, had uh, 13 points total, Got into six playoff games as well where he was held pointless. But, uh, I mean, what are the Oilers getting in Derek Ryan? I mean, like, it's an interesting question because Derek Ryan's not going to, like, move the needle for fans. He's not going to be, like, he doesn't hit, he doesn't score a ton, but he's just one of those, like, really, really reliable. You, you put him in the lineup on the fourth line as your center, and you know what he's going to give. He's, he, he plays hard. Um, honestly, I, I do think you could toss him up and put him on one of the skill lines and, He's got skill. He can skate. He can. He can. He's good with the puck. But like, it's generally just that he doesn't do anything wrong uh, when you're in five on five. Then you put him on the power or on the penalty kill, and the guy like he's he's as good as you get. He honestly like he doesn't really block shots, but he's always in position. He's just uh, I don't know. He's just one of those guys who you can count on. And uh, I, I don't think we're going to see a ton of Derek Ryan's or you know purchase 
you know, he's not going to eat into Connor McDavid's sales in Edmonton. But he's one of those guys who makes your team better. And honestly, like, more importantly, just, just, just definitely doesn't make your team worse. He's, he's good. He's dependable. Um, you guys are going to like him. So when you, when you talk about the potential to jump up into the top six and play with skill, is that something he did last year with the Flames? Um, they used him, like, it was on occasion. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate that. Like, I, I do think that he's sort of a fourth-line player. He's your quintessential 2021 fourth-line player. Um, he's not, you know, this is in 2003. He's not going to go beat anybody up. That, that's not his game. He's not overly physical. But he can skate, and he, he's pretty decent with the puck. Um, like, it's in a pinch, you know, you're trying to switch things up, trying to get something going. He's a high-energy guy. Uh, he plays the game the right way. So, I wouldn't say they did it often, but over the over the couple of years that he was in Calgary, you definitely you definitely saw him there when they needed him to be. You talked about him playing on the penalty kill and uh, not blocking a lot of shots. Uh, in, in the past with the Oilers, we have seen their penalty killers having to get in a lot of the shooting lanes. Is it a case of Derek Ryan just being there so early, where you know guys in the power play don't even want to try to force the shot through because he's just going to be taking it away? Honestly, yes, and like like for me, like I haven't said it yet, but like. Derek Ryan's just like a very cerebral player, um, and that's, that, that can be hard to sort of articulate what I mean when I say that, but you watch him on the penalty kill, and he's just, he's moving, he's, he's sort of one step ahead of, of where the pass is going and gets there and, and collapses on the player with the puck. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not fully diving in front, but he just, he's just always there. Um, and I, I recognize this is this is not high analytics here that I'm offering you, but um, he's just one of those guys who, who who you can count on for for you know the first 90 seconds of the penalty kill to get in the way and disrupt what the other team is doing. You look at his track record, and I mean it's pretty well documented. He played for the U of A Golden Bears, so a lot of people in town know him. He also went to Austria, uh, went to the AHL. You know, paid his dues, worked his way up. When he goes into the room, I mean, obviously he's going to bring the honest effort, you know, bring the lunch pail, go to work. Do you think that rubs off on the teammates? Yeah, I mean, across the board, the the Flames just genuinely seem to, like, admire him. And I'm using the word admire, like, quite intentionally. Um, Like, he's a deeply religious person. He's he's very well-spoken. He's a nice guy. Um, but I also do think that they're able to look and say, hey, man, like you're not a guy who had this handed to you at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You, know, you had to work for it. And that, that work ethic, I, I think that you know, both of us cover athletes, the work ethic is often what they respect the most. And I, I think that that's what I saw with Derek Ryan was just a general appreciation of of his character, but also of the fact that he just goes in and puts in the work, and that's both on the ice and off the ice. And, uh, yeah, I, there's not a, a dressing room that I've ever seen that I don't think he'd fit in with. Now, when it came to leaving the Calgary Flames, though, what was the situation? Was it where, you know, just contract up and he's looking for a change of scenery? Was it, you know, maybe the Flames have someone else they wanted to grow into that role, maybe younger, maybe cheaper? Like, how did it, how was the exit from the team? I mean, Brad Tree Living, when we spoke to him yesterday, uh, today's Thursday, so that would be Wednesday, uh, it was pretty clear that, like, look, they would have loved to have Derek Ryan back. Um, I think coming out of the season, um, it was understood within the media group that, that Derek Ryan probably wasn't going to be back. Um, part of that was likely just that the Calgary Flames need to make some changes and, you know, um, 
Daryl Sutter has his guys, and I don't know if Derek Ryan was one of Daryl Sutter's guys, although he certainly never complained about him. Um, I, Brad Tree Living said, look, they, they were very much open to bringing him back, but they also understood that he wanted to go, you know, see what kind of money he could get, see what kind of fit he could get, see if he could get on a team that, you know, he thought had a better tra- chance of winning the cup. I don't know that Brad said that, but I'm saying that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the Flames would have loved to have him back and would have been open to it, but ultimately, um, you know, you got a U of A guy. You spent some time up in Edmonton and, and probably looked at that Oilers team that, you know, at least made the playoffs and thought, Maybe I'm a better fit there. Yeah, from the Drake to Rexall to well, I guess not really Rexall Rogers. I, I should know the arena that they play in uh, quite the jump. And yeah, I, I absolutely love the guy. I love this story that he has. Uh, you know, gives you the honest effort, kind of the the anti story from what you might see with a Connor McDavid, who I'm not saying doesn't give you the effort, but was thrust into the spotlight by the time he was 15. This guy kind of paid his dues, worked his way up. I think it's going to be a great addition for the Edmonton Oilers. Now, the Oilers are in Calgary December 27th, assuming everything goes well. We get fans back in the arena. Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope that happens. What's the uh, what's the return going to be like? How are the fans going to treat him? Do you think he gets the booing treatment? Absolutely not. Um, I, look, if you boo Derek Ryan, there's something wrong with you. Um, I can tell you that there are, there are a lot of issues with the Calgary Flames, and... Uh, I think I've probably been more vocal about some of those than a lot of people, but Derek Ryan was not one of them. Um, look, I understand if you're an Oilers fan, you see Derek Ryan signing, and it, it's probably not something that you know makes you go running into the streets screaming, hallelujah, we got this. Um, he's just a, a good hockey player who, to be honest, I mean, he seems like a pretty decent human being as well. Um Came into Calgary, did a job for a couple of years, worked well, was part of the community. Uh, you know, his family was here. You, you appreciate that. And, you know, I hate that we pick and choose when we say hockey's a business. Look, Derek Ryan got a great offer in, in Edmonton, goes up, gets to join a team that ultimately, like, what you guys up in Edmonton are probably missing is some depth pieces, and he's a depth piece. You know, he doesn't have to come in and, you know, score 30 goals but he has to come in and is, is do his job and that's what he did in calgary and then you say thank you and it's a job well done but i i, I think that i'll be perfectly honest with you, i don't necessarily know that uh that Derek ryan gets a standing ovation i don't think he's that type of player i don't think he necessarily like you know really got a ton of emotional traction with with flames fans but i i think flames fans will rightfully you know he'll have a video saying thanks for the job that you did thanks for the work that you did and and they'll politely applaud and, and then you move on 2021. Everyone's got to get that video. I, I stand by it. Yeah, any, you know, once a flame, always a flame. I'm, I don't know if you guys have that saying down there. Like once an oiler, always an oiler. Something they always pump. I out. will tell you this. I will tell you this. And I, Travis Hamannick, another guy I have a lot of time for. A good hockey player. He spent what I guess three seasons here. It was the like third, fourth defenseman in a completely empty Scotiabank Saddledome. Like no fans there, no nothing. He came back with the Vancouver Canucks. And they had this like two minute video, and I was like, "What is happening right now? <laughs> like, who is this video for?" <laughs> I, I it's, these videos are hilarious, but I'm not going to complain about Derek Ryan, you know, getting a thank you. Why would Why would you? Yeah, I mean, and like you said, the Oilers needed bottom six depth. That's what this guy is. Uh, two years, one one point two five million dollar per year cap hit. Not a big deal. Uh, someone else left the Calgary Flames. A guy who's been a thorn in the side. For the Edmonton Oilers and their fan base, Mike Giordano, uh, what's the what's the reaction to that one? Losing your longtime captain, and uh, you know, is is it a 
a bitter taste for the Flames fans? I mean, did the guy have a lot left? What was your whole thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think Mark Giordano has a, has some hockey left in him. I'm not going to say a lot. I'm not going to say he's going to be playing in six, seven years. But the reality with Giordano is, like, look, he, in his last season here, um, I'd say, like, first 30 games, he was pretty average. I don't I don't think he was great. But down the stretch, I'd say he was probably the Flames' best player. I mean, he, he built up to it. For a guy who's 37 years old, I'm 37 years old. I wouldn't want to be playing that much hockey. And, and he was he was pretty pretty good, man. Um, so I, I, I think that it's a, a big loss for the culture of the team. I think it's a big loss for the community. Um, and I, I honestly think that, like, Mark Giordano, that's the hole in the Stampeders, or, sorry, in the Flames right now. Um, the reality is that, like, they lost their number one defenseman. There, there's no getting around that. Whether he was going to be their number one defenseman in three years, yeah, probably not. That's why you had to protect the young guys. I think everyone understands why they had to leave him exposed. Um, you, you couldn't have left any of the young guys, you know, just to be taken. And two years later, Jordano retires. But um, yeah, I think it stings. I think it hurts for a lot of people. I think people really, really wanted to see Mark Jordano play every single game in a Flames uniform. And you know, I ultimately think that this is one of those things where, like, the Edmonton Calgary rivalry is a lot of fun, but we can also, you know, acknowledge that ultimately we. We're all here in Alberta, and we like guys who we like the good guys yeah. for for both community. And Mark Giordano was one of the good guys here, and um, I think he's really, really good. He messed both on and off the ice, but I do think on the ice is significant as well. So the Flames lose a thirty-seven-year-old defenseman. The Oilers bring one in and trade for one in Duncan Keith. Uh, one goes in, one comes out. You know, it's uh, all about balance in the province of Alberta. Exactly. <laughs> I'm actually, can I ask you a question on your own podcast? Yeah, of course. Did they actually give anything up there? Uh, they gave up a guy who wasn't going to sign, who we all knew wasn't going to sign. In Caleb Jones? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I honestly, some people had higher standards for Caleb Jones, higher expectations. I had heard that the organization was kind of losing patience with him. So, no, I don't think there's anything there. And then the third-round pick, you know, hey, if you get a guy who can play in your NHL lineup for two years for a third-round pick, I think you do it all day. So I, I wasn't yeah. as frustrated as a lot of people. The the whole anger came in with the no salary retained. That's where people got mad, thinking that, you know, the $5.5 million for Duncan Keith, your second-pairing defenseman, might be a little bit high. So that's where people and get I a little frustrated. But other than that, I think people like the player. I recognize that. and like I'm, I, I Here's the thing. The Flames signed Blake Coleman yesterday, big signing. Gave him way more term than anyone thought that they should. And Brad Treloven acknowledged. He was like, look, man, like, if you're going to get these guys, you, like, you got to either overpay them or give them more term. Like, that's that's the reality. And, like, yeah, I mean, I guess you have to go out and, and get these guys and make it worthwhile for the other team, too. You know, you don't get these guys for nothing. And that's, that's the reality, and I think, in free agency. We live in a very cold part of the world. A lot of people don't want to necessarily come live here. So you got to overpay a little bit, and it sucks, but that's just, I think that's the reality. Absolutely. Well, Danny, thanks a lot for doing this today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I've got a new podcast coming out with Hernan Salas where we're talking CFL. So uh, we'll have to get you back on talking a little bit of the uh, Canadian football as well. As I've said, man, for you, it's a yes every time. I uh, can't wait to see you when I, when I make my way back up to Edmonton, one of my favorite road trips of the year for Labor Day Replay, and really looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Danny. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Excellent stuff from Danny Austin, opposed to media down in Calgary. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter, at Danny Austin underscore nine. 
Really looking forward to see what Derek Ryan brings to this Oilers team. And uh, that's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Went a little bit long today. We're sitting at just over an hour, but... We couldn't skip a beat here. We had to talk about all the new players for the Edmonton Oilers, break it down, and uh, see what the beat reporters thought of them on the next episode of this show. We'll keep it local. We'll talk to some local media members and see what their thoughts are on the Oilers offseason so far. And who knows, maybe by then something will happen. Maybe there's a trade coming down, or you know, maybe the Oilers find a new goaltender. We'll see what happens over the weekend. Maybe Ken Holland has something up his sleeve. But like I said, that is going to do it for another edition of the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. As always, got to thank you guys so much for tuning in. Danny Austin down in Calgary. Seth Rohrabaugh, who covers the Pittsburgh Penguins. Corey Lavalette, who is the sports editor for the North State Journal and Carolina Hurricanes beat reporter. And finally, Dave McCarthy of Sirius XM NHL. He's also the Toronto correspondent at NHL.com. I appreciate all of them coming on the podcast today. Really do appreciate it. One more time, if you want to sign up with DraftKings, make sure to use promo code THPN. You'll have a lot of fun with the games going on in Tokyo. I am Connor Halley. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again to the podcast. Give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. Gives you an opportunity to win a very cool prize. I'm just going to tease it like that and let you know. Go check out my Twitter page at Connor Halley. My pinned tweet, you'll see it there. Give me a follow. You'll have a chance to win. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.